Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I promised I would try to be a little bit more up to date. And so this week I am being very serious about that. So thank you again for listening. I hope that you're having a good start to the week. Um, We had lots of great feedback from the Data Feminism episode. So another shout out to Chennai Chair for um, having such a stimulating conversation And also thank you to you for listening in. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of a reflection. Um, Today is the 31st of July. And if you're Zimbabwean, you will remember, well, hopefully you will remember that um, on the 31st of July in 2020, um, there was a, a little bit of a movement or a call to people to join a movement which was um, a sort of um, during the pandemic you know everyone's home for people to come out of their homes and protest um, the declining socio-political situation in the country. Now I remember I mean obviously activists um, were quite well some activists were quite vociferous or um, you know, calling on people to to take part in this action. And um, then there were people who were like, you know, hey, it's a lockdown and it's a very uncertain time and we don't know what would happen if we actually participated in such activities. And then obviously some of the counter arguments being used were, for instance, how Black Lives Matter had resurfaced during the pandemic. And so, you know, Some people labeled it cowardice for people not to want to leave their homes, given that, um, you know, there were things to actually come out of their homes to protest about. I remember, uh, you know, I I, I felt a type of way about that reproach. I think um, I understood a lot of people's reservations about not going out of their homes. I was not in Zimbabwe at that time. And I was watching as a distant um, observer at the at that point in time, um, and I had it very good. I must tell you that um, during the pandemic, I happened to be in Australia, and uh, for the first year of the COVID pandemic, the city that I was in, Sydney, had really, you know, limited restriction issues. Um, for a year, basically, of that time. I lived on an in a in an on an island literally, <laughs> um, in a in a world that was functioning and operating to a very different um, d- dynamic, you know. And so I I really watched that from afar, and I thought to myself, well, if I was in Zim, and I was being asked to leave my home, not knowing exactly what was happening, you know. And this is the beginning of the pandemic. I I felt it was a little bit. Um, judgmental to expect um, people to come out of their homes in those ways. Nonetheless, I think I am uh, going around in a bit of a circle at this point in time. What I do want to discuss is Zimbabwean Lives Matter. Um, And so what happens on the 31st of July, 
is there's this action for people to come out of their homes and protest um, declining situation in the country. And uh, a few days later, we have something called Zimbabwean Lives Matter, which is a kind of hashtag movement that develops, I suppose, as a result of this moment. Um, there wasn't very good turnout for that uh, action. And um, so it seems that people then said, well, let's try and do it online and see if that will have a better outcome. Now, I have I wrote an article about this because I was very curious about a lot of things that happened at that time. I still am curious about them because I don't think they were ever answered or resolved. And I'll just read you a little bit from that article to give you a sense of what was happening with this um, with Zimbabwean Lives Matter. On Monday, 3 August 2020, at 11.22 a.m., Sir Naj, this big Zimbabwean influencer, uh, tweeted to his audience, quote, I'm just following the Zimbabwean Lives Matter hashtag. How did this hashtag start? The responses to his tweet offer a range of suggestions, but what is evident is that the origins of a hashtag that would momentarily capture international attention aren't entirely clear. According to a report by Texum on that same day, Zimbabwean Lives Matter had garnered almost 300,000 tweets by the time of their writing, a moment of collective online action reminiscent of the This Flag movement of 2016. Earlier that day, at 8.07 a.m., South African politician Musi Maimane had used the hashtag in a tweet to his 1.5 million Twitter followers at the point at that time and called on other South African influencers such as Trevor Noah to speak on the Zimbabwean situation. One of those Maimane called on was rapper, a.k.a. the late a.k.a., who did not use the Zimbabwean Lives Matter hashtag in his tweets but began to reference the political volatility of Zimbabwe to his over 4.5 million followers at that time and quote accounts using the hashtag. The externalization of the hashtag into South Africa's Twitter sphere with its larger user base created significant momentum and visibility for Zimbabwean Lives Matter. Later that same day, American rapper Ice Cube retweeted a Zimbabwean user who had posted an archival video of military brutality alongside the hashtag. In the following days, Western media outlets including The Guardian and BBC would also report on the hashtag. But by the next Monday, however, the hashtag's activity and visibility had significantly diminished. Nonetheless, it had offered an important insight into political activism in Zimbabwe, some of which I, you know, I then go on to analyze um, in tandem with the This Flag movement, which lasted a few months. So here we are, and I believe one of the things that we don't do very well in our activism, in our actions, in general, is reflection. And I say this because I remember um, in 2017, bumping into Pastor Evan Mawarire in a TV shop, um, minding my own business, going about life, and then there he was. And he had just come back from the U.S., and, you know, had to answer to a lot of charges um, from the state for his, you know, activism and actions. Um, and I, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, I think, well, I said to him rather, I think that uh, if you actually had a, a session and brought together um, people who had followed 
the this flag movement and explain to them why you left at the height of it, why he left for the US at the height of it. It might do something to make them trust you a little bit more and perhaps come back on board with, with your action. Um, nonetheless, he saw it differently and, you know, that's that. And, um, you know, I don't think that this flag movement ever really came back alive. Uh, well, it didn't, it, despite the efforts of other people who tried to, for instance, have um, Facebook live events or, uh, you know, discussions that continued the momentum of um, the movement, it just never came back to life. And that's partially because of the charisma of the leader. I think Pastor Evan Mawariro was able to get people to be really engaged and interested in the this flag movement. Um, but then also that moment where he left at the height of activism at that point where people were actually willing to leave their homes to 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 protest or to stand in solidarity with pastor evan and then you know he kind of left at that at that peak and there's something to to be said about people feeling used abandoned um and exploited and once that feeling is there it's very difficult to to resuscitate something, especially in the absence of a kind of acknowledgement or apology or um, effort to bring uh, people back together. And so, you know, that was that moment and, and it never came back again. And so, you know, this is now a few years later, we have Zimbabwean Lives Matter, it shows up and I've given you a little bit of the context of what was happening in the environment at that time. This is COVID times, people are in lockdowns, there's curfews, um, there is uh, reports of you know looting by the government in terms of COVID funds and COVID equipment. And so people are obviously very frustrated and feeling very powerless and, you know, unable to leave their homes. And so they decide to uh, have a, a, a moment online. And one thing that is, is really interesting, as I said, from what I just read out, is that no one could actually tell where this movement came from. Um, and uh, it almost seemed if you go back in time, or if you went back in time at that point, that the first tweets that you could actually find that used that hashtag came out of South Africa. And so this was sort of initiated outside Zimbabwe and then brought into Zimbabwe. Now, that's really interesting because South Africa obviously has a bigger Twitter sphere than Zimbabwe. And um, obviously, if something goes viral in South Africa, it really helps with, South, with Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe has a much smaller population, um, almost a third of South Africa's population, I think, um, if not even smaller at this point in time. I have not been keeping up with the latest statistics. But imagine being that much smaller than your neighboring country. That means that your neighboring country's Twitterverse just has more potential to bring your causes to a place of virality. And then also you add the factor that there are so many Zimbabweans who live and work in South Africa such that there are many nationals who also would participate in something like that uh, from within the South African space. But there's a lot to be said about the use of celebrities or the engagement of celebrities because celebrities are, are essentially have so many more followers and they have so much more influence. Um, and they're able then to get their influences on board or their uh, followers rather on board with, with causes 
And so this is, you know, some of what was happening with um, Zimbabwean Lives Matter at this point in time. Um, but then, you know, I think there were so many other factors that, you know, for the days that it was viral, it was very viral. And, you know, there was these calls to get as many people using it as possible. Um, and, and it caught the attention of, you know, the international media as well. And I think what, what, what it did well at that point in time was to really perhaps not have a leader in the same way that this flag had had a leader. Um, it felt like at that point, Zimbabweans weren't particularly interested in having someone um, stand up and champion a cause, especially if they came from it from a political perspective. Um, it was just best to have a leaderless movement and, um, and, and a political movement at that and so that seems to have been what got people to feel safe with it. It was online, like I said already. Um, and, you know, it was speaking to people's current or immediate needs. It, it, it spoke as well to people that people look up to. You know, if celebrities are talking about you as well, you feel like your cause is important. Uh, but then just as quickly as it came on the scene, it very quickly disappeared and um I think by the Monday that it started, by the Saturday, it was kind of <laughs> dying. And um, I, I want to have a better analysis of what happened to Zimbabwean Lives Matter, but then I do not have any other response as, except to say that by Friday evening of that week that this hashtag had started to go viral, um, a popular radio personality, Miss Red, had given an interview to a Ghanaian uh, radio station about the situation in Zimbabwe because everyone was now so interested to know, well, what exactly is going on there? And uh, from what I heard on that radio interview, and that's three years ago, so I'm, I'm working from memory, uh, I, I believe she came on and said things were not as bad as... The media was making it out to be um, that it wasn't that there were military tankers on the roads, etc. You know, you can still have a very good life. You know, life is not like terrible uh, at the moment. And that triggered a lot of people who then felt that she had misrepresented the cause. She hadn't um, counted herself with the team. And what I saw then on the Saturday was really an abandonment of a movement to become a personal attack on an individual who had not played the game by the rules that she was supposed to as you know, a fellow Zimbabwean. And I was very curious about that. Um, I saw people who I generally felt weren't um, driven in those ways to attack, attack her, really, really just come out and, you know, it became a very, very intense, misogynistic, hateful campaign, you know, which then led to rev revealing of all kinds of information, personal information about her and her personal life. And I really asked myself, well, you know, what does this mean? Because if you're fighting for emancipation and freedom and... You know, it's a collective effort. 
if someone comes in and they don't agree and they say something that is out of turn, how can a movement completely lose its way on that? I mean, I, I, I really didn't understand that. And um, I suppose I still don't understand that. <laughs> it, 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 it really actually uh, still confuses me quite a lot because I, I just wanted to understand what it was about one person who has her influence. She is an influencer. She has a whole big following. Um, and she, you know, she, she has the power to tell a side of a narrative of Zimbabwe. And, uh, and she did. And that narrative was not the narrative that was expected of her. Um, but she's just one person in this big matrix of people. I mean, there was people with much bigger followings than her who were involved in the movement and the campaign. So I don't understand entirely how she could derail a whole group of people. Um, and, and the momentum could be lost so entirely on one person. Uh, I, I, I still don't want. I still don't know what happened, and I still don't want to believe that's what happened. But that's how I saw it. That's I was on Twitter uh, from the beginning of this movement to the day that it started to disintegrate, and that's exactly what I saw. And I think it's also really interesting because she she gave this interview to a Ghanaian radio station, which, as far as I know, doesn't have that big of a reach globally. So if, if it was a feeling that, you know, she was spreading a message that didn't go along with the main narrative of Zimbabwean Lives Matter, I, I wonder if it mattered so much that she gave this interview to a very small uh, radio station, not very small, let me, call, let me not call them very small. I do not know this radio station well enough, but I do know that it wasn't um, a radio station of this great global significance. So I, I just didn't understand that entirely. I, I felt like, you know, it was a moment that really showed what happens when people are very emotionally driven. And, um, you know, really, it was a terrible time. You know, COVID was a terrible, terrible time globally. And um, when something just gets to a point where people are so frustrated that they take out the frustrations onto a person who is probably the most, uh, the closest thing that you can take your frustration out on. It happens across the board. We know about stories about um, communities of women who face gender-based violence because, you know, their husbands, and this is not to, to sanitize gender-based violence in any way, but we know that that happens. These men who are being treated by their bosses like children then go home and enact their sense of manhood on their women by then, you know, bringing on these knock-on effects of the violence they experience. And I felt like that was the same with this moment where people took out the frustrations that they feel on forces that are higher than any one individual onto one person and said, you know, you have frustrated us so much that we are now going to enact all our frustrations onto you. I would love one day that there be a post-mortem of this this moment. I think there's so many things that came out of Zimbabwean Lives Matter that have not been unpacked. What it means to have intersectional 
movements where, you know, we might be fighting together, but then we realize very quickly that, oh, you're misogynists, so why should I be hanging out with you? Because emancipation doesn't look the same for us. If you are willing to attack this woman to the point of bringing out her personal life and using it against her because you're so frustrated by how she has responded to a collective movement. How can I trust you to move with me? Because what when the shoe's on the other foot, when I get something wrong, you're going to enact the same violence on me because I am a woman too. Um, and so I think all those kinds of things that come up when I think people right now, when we look think about online organizing and organizing in general where people are very aware that we're not fighting for the same things or we're not fighting for the same vision. Some people are fighting against something rather than for something. And those are two very different things. Fighting against something is not the same thing as fighting for something because it means that once that thing is, the, the thing you're fighting against, once it's taken out of the equation, we are not fighting. We're not going the same place. You may even fight me eventually. Um, and so I felt like that was never unpacked. And it was so important to do that. And I think it's still so important to do that. And that's not just with um, Zimbabwean Lives Matter. Any movement needs a kind of reflection after it to see what worked and what didn't and why. And then how to move forward. I think the other thing that was also quite um, significant during the Zimbabwean Lives Matter moment was, as I said, a lot of South African influences came on board. And one of those was Lasizwe Dambuza. Like AKA, he did not use the hashtag itself, but he did put a tweet out and say, I stand with Zimbabwe. And I think he put in a Zimbabwean flag as well in that tweet. Now, because Lasizwe is this young gay man uh, and he's a big influencer as well in South Africa, he's very well known. And some of the responses to him were, again, another moment of really deep uh, reflection needed because here is this person who doesn't owe us anything as Zimbabweans coming out and using his platform of over a million Twitter followers to say, I stand with you. I see what's going on and I'm going to raise uh, awareness about it among my following. And lo and behold, all kinds of people come on this uh, thread and they start spewing all kinds of homophobic sentiment and say, you know, we don't want your support. It's fine. If, 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 if we are going to continue to suffer, it's fine, as long as we don't have you talking for us. Now, again, very worrying, very concerning. And again, you know, if, if we're fighting for freedoms for all and uh, this is what's happening, then we're not fighting the same fight. You're, you're, you're homophobic, you're misogynistic, you're not intersectional. We're not fighting for the same things. We're just fighting. Most people are fighting against something rather than for something. And I think these are such important conversations to have within movement building, within organizing, to really think about why sometimes we do not attain the realities that we desire. It is because sometimes we're actually pushing in, in opposite directions to one another. 
One is pushing the other way, the other one's pushing the other way, and the other one's pushing down, the other one's pushing up, and we don't move. We're stuck in the same place because we don't have agreed values, we don't have agreed visions, and there isn't space and pockets for everybody's needs and grievances to be met. Now, that's not to say that we can ever have a perfect movement. No such thing exists. And if it did, we would all be free. But it is to say there is importance in us looking at what goes wrong when movements fail and who felt like they were no longer safe and why and who feels like they're not going to be safe in the future and why. Why people are silent, why people act, why people don't. I think even just going back to the 31 July moment, why did people not feel comfortable to go out their houses? Did anyone actually ask? Or was it just a command to say, hey, let's go out of our houses. And if you're not, you're a coward, which was kind of the kind of sentiment that came with that. So I think that um, there's always importance in conversations. There's always importance in trying to figure out what has gone wrong or to at least document it. And so this is my little contribution to that. Um, I would also just add the, the interesting dynamics of how movements grow when people can offer solidarity across nation spaces. It's so important to think about. You think about countries like Nigeria, you think about something like NSARS. Nigeria has a, a, a huge, huge population, over 200 million they don't really need anyone outside of their nation space to support any kind of movements that happen within Nigeria because Nigeria itself is such a, such a big country and it has such a huge diaspora. But what do smaller countries need and how can they achieve their realities and become more strategic in thinking about that? So if you ever want to start a movement and you're a smaller country, how do you get it to be engaged with in other countries, in other nation spaces? How do we use the digital space to reach these influencers who have these followers, to use your diaspora across the, the world to also in, to influence your, move and your movement and your cause? So I think there's a lot of things still to be unpacked, and it's been three years, and I don't see any of it. And that's a little bit frustrating for me um, because I like that people document things and that they reflect on them. I think reflection is always a good thing. Um, engagement is always a good thing. So this is my little contribution to this moment. And um, I will look forward to hearing from you if you have any thoughts as well about what this moment meant and what activism looks like in this online reality at this point in time. I mean, now we don't even call this platform Twitter anymore. It's called X. Um, we've seen the new logo. <laughs> and so who knows? What will Twitter look like? What will X look like in the future? But I think there's just so much generative conversation that can be had about things that have worked and things that haven't worked. And I'd really like us to, to have a conversation. So, you know, even if you're not Zimbabwean and you have little uh, some perspectives about, you know, on online organizing and things that do go wrong and things that do go right, please do share. Um, I'd love to hear from you. All right, I will keep it to that and we will see each other. I will see each other, hear each other. Well, you'll hear me <laughs> soon. Take care.